Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 23rd April with me, Ian Welsh. A few days ago, I spoke with Anastasia Volkova, founder and CEO of Regrow, following up a recent session at Innovation Forum's Future of Food conference. We talked about the challenges for producers and their customers to demonstrate effectively how they are developing regenerative agricultural practices and making improvements more generally and the characteristics of the tools and solutions that can help. Plus, we've got a preview of what to expect at the Sustainable Apparel and Textile Conference next week. That's all to come. Firstly, here's some sustainable business news. In the week of Earth Day, on the 22nd of April, unsurprisingly, there has been a slew of climate change-related announcements. Highest profile was the vow from President Biden that the US will cut emissions by 50% over the years to 2030 on a 2005 baseline. The pledge is a clear contrast to the messaging that was coming from the Trump White House and aims to put the US back at the forefront of international efforts on climate change. Biden administration officials said that the new target will give the US leverage to push for climate action abroad. The announcement was made just before Biden hosted world leaders to an online climate summit coinciding with Earth Day. The US plans will involve transitioning the US electricity grid away from fossil fuels and a rapid expansion in renewable energy more generally and the electrification of transportation. In his speech to the leader summit, President Biden emphasised that these transformational changes can mean significant potential for new jobs. The UK has gone further in its climate ambitions with cuts of 78% by 2035 now the national target. For the first time, the UK is including aviation and shipping within the scope of its climate commitments, which will be enshrined into law. One of the major obstacles will be in changing how UK residents heat their homes and retain that heat. Significant programmes to improve domestic insulation will be necessary, as will a switch away from gas-fired heating, which is the norm across the UK, less travel and a change in diet, commentators have surmised. The UK government has a track record, its critics say, of big promises in climate without them being backed up by the action necessary, as has been the case in the US and elsewhere. What feels different, perhaps, is the emergence of more of the detail as to what the promised emissions cuts will actually mean in terms of impact on everyday life. Big business wasn't going to let itself miss out on some earthly publicity with many new targets announced. There have been many of them. To pick out just one example, typical of the announcements is that made by IT giant Dell, which had previously announced goals of cutting scope 1 and 2 emissions by 50% by 2030 from 2015 baselines. Now, the company has set full net zero emission targets, including scope 3, by 2050. An impact of the growing momentum behind finding environmental solutions driven by the Biden White House is a growing market in pollution offsets, something picked up by Bloomberg Green this week. The likes of Lando Lakes are now developing carbon credits based on farmers introducing new practices that reduce emissions. A new non-profit group, Ecosystem Services Market Consortium, backed by big business in the shape of McDonald's, General Mills and Cargill, is due to establish a new carbon market in 2022. The Bloomberg report suggests that much of the potential lies in the world's soils, which could be able to sequester the equivalent of the emissions of the world's transportation system. The new US Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack has said that he believes the sector can move quickly to cut emissions through changes in practices, more rapidly certainly than other major polluters such as power generation, transportation and construction. The sorts of initiatives that can achieve this swift pivot are being put into practice at PepsiCo, which has announced plans to roll out regenerative agricultural techniques across 7 million acres of land, equivalent to the entire area used to grow all the crops and ingredients in the company's products. As an example, the peelings from potatoes for its branded crisps and chips will be turned into fertiliser, reducing the carbon footprint of the potato production by 70%. Another aspect of the company's positive agricultural programme is the use of 1 million data points to help farmers improve yields and cut impacts in oat production through the brilliantly named Opti Oat Initiative. 
In all, PepsiCo plans to eliminate 3 million tonnes of emissions by 2030, improve the livelihoods of 250,000 people in its agricultural supply chains, and sustainably source 100% of its key ingredients. Already the company sources 100% Bonstruco certified sugarcane, and more than 99% RSPO certified palm oil. Earlier this week, I spoke with Innovation Forum's Hannah Halmari about what's coming up next week at the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference. Welcome back to the podcast, Hannah. Thanks, Ian. Good to be back. So we've got our Sustainable Apparel and Textiles event coming up next week. So just give us a quick update on sessions and speakers. What, what are you looking forward to? So we now have over 60 expert speakers from across the apparel industry joining us. This includes senior representatives from leading brands such as Caring, Patagonia, Nike, CNA, Reformation, and many, many more. And delegates are going to be able to ask questions to and hear from them through a variety of different session formats, such as plenaries, Q&As, open discussions, and of course, our daily quickfire networking sessions. So lots there to look forward to. A few of the sessions that I personally can't wait for. One of them would be the circularity session. So that's taking place on day two. We're going to hear from Aditya Birla Fashion and Retail, Netta Porter Group, OTB and Bank and Vogue on how material innovation and disruptive technologies can enable circularity at scale. Excellent. Well, there's a lot of exciting sessions coming up for sure. What should delegates expect then? Tell me a bit more about the conference platform. I mean, I know it's been set up to enable interactivity in these remaining still strange times where we're having conferences online, but we have set up a lot of interactivity, haven't we? Yeah, that's right. So when you register, you'll be able to access the online platform straight away. And there you'll be able to start directly messaging and setting up one-to-one meetings with the other attendees. The platform is currently open for networking. It'll continue to be, of course, throughout all of next week and then also two weeks after the conference. So really a great chance to meet people throughout the industry and build valuable connections. The post-event value, I think that's really interesting. I mean, One of the benefits of having the event online is that we do have recordings of sessions. So if anybody misses a session, then the recordings will be available for, as I recall, it's for the next year, isn't it, for delegates. So tell me a bit more about the the post-event value then. The site will be live for a year, accessible throughout to all attendees, including all the session recordings, any uploaded materials, and then they can also revisit the session chats. So continuous learning resource. There are still tickets available for the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference from April the 27th to the 29th, which is next week. And look forward to seeing you all there. Thanks a lot, Hannah. Thanks, Ian. Recently, I caught up with Regrow founder and CEO Anastasia Volkova. We talked about the development of scalable solutions that can demonstrate progress in developing resilient agricultural processes with impacts on climate change and supply chain efficiencies. At Regrow, you've developed a digital platform that's designed to offer scalable solutions for resilient agriculture. So what does your platform do? We look at how people manage arable land and identify the patterns in that management and are able to quantify the outcome of that management. So this includes agronomic monitoring decision support. This includes advice on what regenerative practices to adopt as well as quantification of soil health outcomes, so sequestration rates of soil organic carbon, leaching rates of nitrogen and two fluxes, and everything effectively from the yield and the inputs to outputs in the soil. We can come into some of the detail perhaps a little bit further along, but what are the sort of challenges in setting up such a product, designing such a product? 
<laughs> there are plenty of challenges. Um, first of all, um, people have, I would say, a misconception of the type and the amount of data that exists in agriculture. There is a lot of sporadically captured nuanced data that, when not contextualized, doesn't have a lot of value. And the fact that our tractors have auto steers and now are capturing every little nuance when they're going on the field up and down, applying different products, that doesn't paint the full picture that uh, a platform like ours needs. Some of the main challenges that I think we've been really good at solving is understanding where the friction points are with adopting such technologies, particularly with reliance on a lot of input data from the user. And uh, that is a false assumption and we religiously follow the opposite, uh, being able to bring good data with minimal input from the user, but give the user the control to edit, adjust. And we follow this mantra that everyone wants to be an editor and not a creator. It's much easier if you're given something to edit to dive into it, whilst if you're given a blank slate, it's a lot harder. And this is amplified also by the fact that in agriculture, no one has time. The time is very valuable because the weather doesn't wait for them to do their chores on their computers. They need to be out there doing whatever is the most pressing task. This is why, apart from just onboarding them quickly, showing them the benefit of the tool as quickly as possible and having workflows that are fairly tightly wired in and are very smart so that at certain points in time, you are guided towards nitrogen recommendation tool to apply and season fertilizer. At other points in time, you are guided to see what practices you should adopt as you are heading towards the end of the season or in what sequence you should harvest the crops. It's important to really give the benefit of that information and put it in the context. This is what you should do next, rather than just place it in front of someone and hope that they will understand what implications this information has. So where initially is your platform operating? We are a global platform. Uh, in our suite of tools on crop monitoring, crop stress detection, health, productivity, is actually available globally. Um, we have fields, last time I looked was in 45 countries, but I'm sure some new ones have been added since I looked last December. On the other hand, we have some key markets where we are very densely mapping areas. Uh, so for example, in the US, we've mapped over 137 million acres effectively wall-to-wall, meaning that we would take several states and map all of the fields and all of the practices on each of the fields to get the benchmarks. And by the end of this year, we would have mapped the entire U.S. Our other markets in which we're present and quite rapidly advancing are Brazil and Australia, and we're starting to explore Europe. When you say you're mapping, are you using publicly available satellite data or using your own proprietary data? What's the data that you're using and how are you getting hold of it? When we are saying that we're mapping, basically what we're doing is we're pulling various layers of information publicly available and something that's available just to us when the customers are uploading the data and they seek better, more granular, higher accuracy answers by providing us additional information. But it all starts with publicly available data, publicly available satellite imagery, weather data, soil maps. And then we feed them through our agronomic models that have the logic wired in that basically says, well, if you're looking at this pattern, 
this is a wheat crop. If you're looking at this pattern, this is an oil seed, this is a canola crop. And if you're looking at these patterns after season, this means that this field has been not tilled and left with high residue and we had a cover crop in it, for example. So all of that is actually possible to do with publicly available data. But of course, when you're thinking of turning that information into practice adjustment and, and carbon credits, there's uncertainty associated with some additional parameters that we need to account for. When you're modeling crops and crop production, you take a, make assumptions about the amount of fertilizer that someone's put in, the timing of that fertilizer, the various other practices that they've implemented on that field. And being able to replace our assumption data that is uh, representative for that particular county, state, area, province by user data is what reduces the uncertainty and brings in level of next level of accuracy, reduces the risk on the output. Let's think of the producer level now. Producers have sometimes struggled to demonstrate effectively to their customers that they're changing their approach towards regenerative agriculture and practices and everything else. So how do you suggest that they will go about doing that? That's partly why we built our platform, because it makes it obvious in its objective as to where the practices are being adopted and not. And we are very diligent in collecting a lot of grand choice data that we pay for ourselves, as well as source for our partners to do the validation of our product. So also given the certainty to that producer that we actually can accurately map their practices without seeking their data inputs. So we work with a number of so-called checkoff organizations or farmer boards who want to demonstrate to their consumer, in some cases it is, for example, an export of a commodity out of the US and import into European Union. They want to demonstrate what percentage of land that they're farming those commodities on already has the adoption of the right practices. And it would be an impossible exercise to do if we ask producer by producer. And this is what tripped over some of the tools that came before us, that they were basically just spreadsheets that are put on the on the tablet and online. They weren't necessarily smart enough to fill in the gaps that the growers have. There's so many things that are happening in farming that you just can't guarantee that you will have the time to save this file over there and upload it to this system and really leave it into the archives of history. You need some support with reminding you what that practice was. I guess that everyone's talking about scope three emissions at the moment. What you can do is help a buyer more easily demonstrate to their customers that they're dealing with their scope three emissions because you can get the data from the farmers and show that the right practices are going into place. I mean, that's, I guess, that's a major value for a buyer. Definitely. We have several value propositions on the platform. This is one of them, uh, just one of the largest ones. So being able to work with the consumer packaged goods companies that have more or less involvement in the supply chain. Some of them have integrated supply. Some of them are completely contracting out and outsourcing the supply. But being able to connect them to a supply shed and, says, and say, if we're sourcing in this particular area, this type of crop, we can filter our maps filter our benchmarks and demonstrate that this is a level of adoption of practices. This is how much they're sequestering in terms of organic carbon right now. And we can go as far as supporting the transformation of those captured SOC credits into carbon credits on the market. We ourselves are not running any market. We're extremely supportive of Ecosystem Service Market Consortium. It's a large consortium of members in the US that's sending up the market. We also have a couple of large customers with their own initiatives. But effectively, what we want to ensure is that players across the supply chain are doing good practices. It's one, easy to demonstrate that it's transparent, it's objective. We know the accuracy and uncertainty of those metrics. It's very cheap, which is extremely important to enable the transactions on this marketplace. Because if your transaction cost is very high, 
you don't leave any, so to speak, meat on the bone for the producer to actually do the practices and get motivated around it. From a grower's perspective, producer perspective, how can you help them access carbon credits? There's a couple of things. So from a producer perspective, Regrow's platform, Fluorescence, offers sustainability adoption practice scenarios. So the scenario tool that can help you identify where you should be implementing these new practices and being able to quantify and be eligible by the additionality criteria the markets are requiring for you to be. For the farmers to actually convert their land into practices is where we start, but also in the near term future, we're saying that we'll be able to more directly connect them with market opportunities. Those market opportunities are currently evolving, they're emerging. And what we're doing is connecting them to more specific partners who are engaging them in these programs. So you would see a number of primes making very big commitments on the sustainability and enrolling in farmer programs. So these are the programs that we support as they're starting to prime the supply of credits that will hopefully next year, by about this time next year, will start emerging into a, a marketplace where the farmers can be more transparently participating. It's something that came out of the recent Future of Food event was that everyone seemed to agree that carbon credits are so much part of the future solutions, but no one's quite sure exactly how it's all going to pan out. So it's great to hear that there are opportunities for further developing their potential. So what for you are the characteristics of an online tool that make it really useful for farmers, for buyers and for everyone else in the value chain? Objectivity, ease of use, is the ability to get granular as well as access the data and, and see what assumptions have been made to derive it. I think we see a move from more general databases of greenhouse gas emissions per ingredient for CPG companies to more tools like ours where you can say, this is where my processing facility is, this is the radius where we're sourcing, this is our supply shed. And I want to work with farmers in that supply shed, even if they don't have direct contracts with my company. We want to improve the supply shed and benefit from that improvement and demonstrate the benefit to the consumer. Doing all that smoothly for all players in the part of the supply chain, for those that provide farmers with the inputs and advice, for the farmers that are making decisions themselves or with their trusted advisors, for those that source from the farmers, and for those who actually make food that is placed on the shelves of supermarkets, all of them are going to be able to rely on the same source of information, which I think is the is the best part of all. Because if you're using the same tool to measure when you're making a decision, as you're using to reward that decision, you're really in alignment and in agreement. I guess it's about transparency and then also being certain in the data as well. So it's tra- being transparent about the data, but also being certain that the data is as it says. That the event, the conference... Um, about business collaboration, including uh, among service providers. So are you seeing a growing appetite for collaboration and cooperation to to really deliver at scale as as what we all want? Yes, absolutely. And and certainly one of the driving forces inside our organisation. We're not be all in all. Um, We understand that. We want to be dominated in a certain area, certain part of this process, the MRV, so-called uh, monitoring, reporting, verification. But we see there's a number of partners that our customers already work with, and we take it upon ourselves, or often those partners will reach out and we would have conversations with there's several ones now. Some of them emerged from the forum 
where the customer is pointing out that we're working with you and we're starting to work with you. You should work together so that we have one point of taking that solution and embedding into our processes. We also see often customers having more complex processes, so they depend one on the other. So for example, if we estimate the greenhouse gas load on that ingredient or the number of regenerative acres, this feeds into the corporate commitment into scope three reporting that may be currently done by another partner and we would provide that data and we should agree with them how it needs to be uh, provided in an integrated fashion so it's all very smooth for the different stakeholders within our customer organizations that we work with. We want to make it as easy as them as possible. It's upon the providers to, to make it easy. Not, it's not for the customer to go and tie in all these knots. I think you're right. It's all about making complex issues but making it easier for the user. Is that the sort of process you think you're going to see more of in the coming 12 months? Definitely. I also see that it's a constantly a battle or balance, trying to strike the balance between specificity and scientific rigor, as well as the ease of use and streamlined workflows and user experiences. And this is the balance that we're striving to strike. And we want to work with more partners who see the need to leverage our technology. By no means we're married to you know, the platform that we're delivering it through. We're definitely building tools that are very API friendly and we want the right numbers. We want to power the transition to resilient agriculture on every acre. And we know we're not going to do it ourselves. We want it to be a part of the experience that people already have where they are. It may be other platforms of our partners. It may be their own. So definitely we will see a lot more of it in the next 12 months. Sure. There was a definite sense that everybody did want to really get down that regenerative agriculture road. It's gone from, is this the way to go to, this is the way to go. How are we going to get there? For now, Anastasia Volkova from Regrow. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Ian. Don't forget, there's still time to join Innovation Forum and 200 business leaders at the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference next week. If you're attending, I look forward to seeing you at the networking sessions. And as ever, look out at innovationforum.co.uk for all the usual audio, interviews and insights. But that's all for now. I've been Welsh and I'll be back next week. Thank you.